Welcome to the Bonner Broadcast, a Bonner Pipeline Project Initiative where we are providing professional development resources for civically engaged leaders in the higher education and nonprofit sector. In this series, we'll be focusing on leadership and how we can create effective change within our teams, programs, careers, and within ourselves. In this series, we have discussed power and its role in relationships, as well as the vital role following plays in a healthy change culture. In today's episode, we are covering the challenges of finding your voice in leadership and learning how to empower others to do the same. We are going to be talking about a range of topics, including leadership and personality tests, to balancing friendships while in a peer leadership relationship. Before we jump in, I want to introduce our featured guests who will be sharing their experience and insight throughout this training. My name is Kelly Finn, and I am a program manager on the student development team at Brown University um, in our Swearer Center, which is our public service and civic engagement center. I am a Bonner alum. I graduated from Siena College in 2016. Bonner really, I think, shaped my professional and personal trajectory, and I really credit Bonner for where I am right now and how I got here. And um, I, my primary role is managing our Bonner Community Fellows Program. And I also run a summer internship program and do a couple other projects here and there. And I, I really think I have a passion for education and that's why I'm in this field. And I came to find out about that through my Bonner experience. My name is Katie Zanecki. I am the, I'm an assistant director in the Center for Academic Community Engagement, or ACE, at Siena. Um, I'm the Bonner director here. Very proud to be the Bonner director. I graduated from Siena in 2014 after being a member of our Bonner program. Um, I came and worked in the office in a few different capacities, and then um, last year came on as the, the Bonner director. So um, I have been involved as a mentor and been able to um, stay close to the program in my other roles, but I am really excited to be in this role um, supporting the program that meant so much to me as a student and did so much, opened so many doors for me. So um, that's a little bit about me, what I'm doing now. Um, and, you know, I love working with our students and being able to, like I said, be part of the program um, from a different lens and different point of view. My name is Nate Green. I am a rising graduating senior, political science major from Washington, D.C. I am the senior Bonner intern for Bonner Office of Community Service, Bonner Scholars Program. Um, and I do it because, you know, I've had a passion for service. Um, and within my cohort, um, the young men always look to me as their leader, um, even before I even had a title. So my director was like, you know, you're going to be the senior Bonner intern for your class. And it ended up happening, actually. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, I'm the head of the senior leadership team. Now that we've gotten to know our guests a little bit better, let's dive right in. Each episode of this series will include different concepts and opinions of our guests, so it may be helpful to keep a pen and paper nearby to jot down some notes that you want to remember. At the end of this episode, there will be an interactive piece for you to participate in so you can apply all that you've learned to real-life scenarios. We've got a lot to learn today, so let's get started. Let's begin with the basics. I'm sure we've all had our fair share of leadership training, but for the sake of all being on the same page, we're going to hear from some Bonner professionals on their definition of leadership. First up, here's Kelly Finn from Brown University. Yeah, so I think a leader and leadership is 
sort of the process of creating change and bringing a group of people and stakeholders along with you in that process. And I look at leadership in a very uh, collaborative way. I think like gone are the times when it's like one charismatic person at the front of the room who gets you inspired and then like leaves you to fend for yourselves. I, I look at leadership as a collaborative process. And I, I really think that like leaders are only as good as the people around them. So I think someone who can bring about change and that that can present itself in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it is a more charismatic person. Sometimes it's someone who like barely says anything, but they have this way about them where they can get a group on board to do something that the group didn't think they, they were capable of. So I really think it's just change making. While Kelly's definition is applicable to all types of leadership, I want to take some time to differentiate between regular leadership and peer leadership and the different implications each takes on. Katie Zanecki from Siena College took these two terms apart for us. Here's her take on things. I think there is a difference. I think peer leadership um, has a lot to do with motivating, but I think um, when you're when you're a leader to people who might not be as experienced as yourself or who are learning, um, you know, a little bit more, maybe learning from you, I think um, an important part of that is, um, you know, making sure that you think about where they're at developmentally and um, how you can support them to grow and to move on to the next stage of their own leadership um, development. So I think peer leaders really are, they should focus on um, motivating, supporting, and encouraging the people around them, um, as well as helping them to have direction. And I think, um, you know, maybe a supervisory or more experienced um, position person in a leadership role should do the same, but also, you know, really think about the other people and what they need to help them grow. Along the same lines, it is important to note that there is a difference between leading a team and managing a team. Managing a team is focused much more on the functionality and effectiveness of the team. Managers organize who's doing what, when they're going to be doing certain tasks, scheduling projects, meetings, and goals, and overall ensuring the team remains efficient and effective in completing their goals. Leaders, on the other hand, look at the team from a more holistic perspective. Leaders are concerned with the efficiency of the team, but are more focused on the quality of the team and the growth that it takes within the team and each individual. Some roles require a person to be more of a manager or more of a leader, depending on the job and the atmosphere. But in general, in order to be an effective change maker, both leadership and managerial skills are essential for success. Katie Zanecki goes into more detail into what differentiates a leader from a manager. So I think leadership is how you make a team feel, um, how you motivate a team. Um, I think a lot about leadership is um, how people around you feel and how you make them feel. And, um, you know, I think good leaders obviously are able to motivate their team and get them to um, make moves and do some really exciting things and, and push, push things forward. Um, and so I think to do that, um, you have to be really in touch with what, um, you know, who's on your team and what motivates them. So really closely related to relationship building and motivating um, your team. So now that we've built a foundational definition of leadership and all that goes into it, we need to address the question, how do we get to this place? 
how do we know what type of leader we are and what are our strengths and weaknesses. In the next couple minutes, we're going to be talking about three different personality and leadership development resources to help us get a foot in the door and start to figure out who we are as leaders. The Enneagram of Personality, or simply the Enneagram, is a model of the human psyche which is principally understood and taught as a typology of nine interconnected personality types. Although the origin and history of many of the ideas and theories are a matter of dispute, it is agreed that the teachings of the Enneagram have been studied and taught for many centuries by many people, including mystics, theologians, and atheists. As a typology, the Enneagram defines nine personality types, which are represented by the points of a geometric figure called the Enneagram, which indicates connections between the types. The Enneagram has been used in many leadership trainings and developments for organizations, schools, businesses, and religious settings. The Enneagram is very useful in personal development and uncovering some of the motivations and inner workings of a person without confining the person into a personality box. For this leadership and personality trainings, there is a focus on the stages of personal development as well as spotting where and when certain unhealthy traits may occur. Attached in the description below are links to different Enneagram resources such as the Enneagram Institute and Enneagram.com. Another leadership development resource is the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. The purpose of the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Personality Inventory is to make the theories of psychological types described by C.G. Young understandable and useful in people's lives. The essence of the theory is that many seemingly random variations in the behavior is actually quite ordinary and consistent. Being due to basic differences in the way individuals prefer to use their perception and judgment. They use this quote to describe the basics of the studies behind MBTI. Quote, perception involves all the ways of becoming aware of things, people, happenings, or ideas. Judgment involves all the ways of coming to conclusions about what has been perceived. If people differ systematically in what they perceive and in how they reach conclusions, then it is only reasonable for them to differ correspondingly with their interests, reactions, values, motivations, and skills." End quote. The MBTI bases each personality type off of four essential questions or categories. The first one is favorite world. Do you prefer to focus on the outer world or your own inner world? This question and category is called extroversion or introversion, or E and I for short. The second question is information. Do you prefer to focus on the basic information you take in or do you prefer to interpret and add meaning? This is called sensing or intuition, or S and N. The third category is decisions. When making decisions, do you prefer to look at the logic and consistency or first look at the people and the special circumstances? This is called thinking or feeling, T or F. The fourth and last category is structure. In dealing with the outside world, do you prefer to get things decided or do you prefer to stay open to new information and options? This is called judging or perceiving, J or P. By answering these questions, you can come up with your personality type, which is composed of one of each category. In this description below, there are links to resources you can use to figure out your MBTI. 
The third leadership development resource is StrengthFinders. StrengthFinders was developed by a team of scientists and positive psychologists to help people uncover and develop their natural talents. StrengthsFinder offers two key things in its results. First, validation of your skills and abilities, and second, suggestions for how to maximize your strengths so that you can operate at your full potential. The basic philosophy behind StrengthsFinder is that everyone has natural talents and that we will get the farthest in life if we focus on elevating our personal strengths rather than trying to balance out our weaknesses. StrengthsFinders lists 34 potential strengths. And after taking the assessment, you'll get to see and learn about your top five with in-depth information and suggestions for how to use your strengths in your life and work. Below in the description is a link to all the resources you'll need for StrengthsFinder. Along with those three great resources, the Bonner Foundation has created many trainings and activities that will help you determine your strengths and potential weaknesses as a leader and how you can develop them. You can find all those resources and more on the Bonner Wiki website. The link is posted below in the description. These tests and activities are most definitely not the end-all be-all for figuring out your leadership style. Each person must do personal reflection and gain experience in order to truly find out who they are as a leader and as a human. However, these resources can hold you accountable and help you get a good starting place for your leadership development. It is important to be aware of both your strengths and weaknesses, where you more naturally are going to thrive and where you might have some blind spots to keep out for. Do not put too much of a focus on either or because both are needed. You need to build your strengths to thrive, but you also need to build your awareness of your shortcomings to avoid causing hurt or prohibiting your team from growing. Lastly, talk to people. Ask your supervisors, Bonner coordinators, and directors, site leaders, and friends for input in how you interact with people. Ask for advice, tips, growth areas, and any wisdom they can give you. You are surrounded by an ocean of knowledge and experience. Here's Kelly Finn talking about the importance of the people around you. Everything that I've learned has been because of students. Like, I think we all are here for each other. And um, again, like putting yourself in a place where you feel like you have that team around you who's helping you grow. And I think that's a mix of both personal and professional relationships. And like, I look at my own life, I think there's, you know, maybe eight or 10 people who are, um, you know, my close circle and I go to them each for different things. And I've found that in my life, I have to keep, you know, adding to that circle and refining that circle. Like if I'm not getting the development I need in one area, then I need to do something about that and change that. And, um, but it's not always the people who are my supervisors or the people above me, but also students that I've supervised, I think have taught me more than I ever could have taught them. So I think just like looking at life as a, this like ocean of information to soak up um, and, and looking at the people around you as like, in a, in a metaphorical way, like the rafts or flotation devices to help support you. Like those people are there for a reason. And so um, take what you can from them and not, not in like a transactional way, but give too. And I think that's how we learn is just like being in community with people. And that's why the Bonner Network is so great because there's so many people that you can learn from. And there you have it. Go seek out a mentor that will help guide you and encourage you as you go through your professional and personal life. 
Right now, I encourage you to pause this video and take a couple minutes to reflect. There'll be some guiding questions up on the screen to help you reflect more intentionally. Welcome back. Now that we've got our foot in the door with some really great resources to kick us off and a solid definition of what leadership is, let's dive into some of the hard and vital parts of being a leader. First up is the topic of starting a leadership role and the transition into that role. Transitioning into a leadership role is potentially one of the hardest parts of being a leader because of the amount of risk and work it takes to do right. But when done right, it can kickstart a really beneficial and effective team and set the tone for the rest of your leadership time. Kelly Finn knows full and well the struggles and joys of transitioning in and out of leadership roles. She jumped straight from being a Bonner student at Siena College to working in the Bonner office at her school immediately after graduation. Through this, she not only had to navigate new leadership roles, but also how to healthily lead her peers. After several years of working at Siena College, Kelly transitioned again into a similar role at Brown University. Here's Kelly with some key insight and advice into the steps of transitioning into the leadership role. Ultimately, when I took on the full-time position at Siena, um, the class that I think was the senior class at the time had gone through three Bonner directors in their four years. So there's a lot of transition happening, which I think is normal in this work. You know, people sort of come and go and um, that just happens. I think that's, that's the nature of it. So um, that was challenging because they, I think, were feeling a little bit you know, like unstable and like, why do people keep leaving me? And it, it wasn't because they wanted to, they got great opportunities other places. And, um, but I was coming into a place where I felt like I had to prove myself a little bit and I had a lot of work to do. And it was, I felt like it was really on me to sort of, um, build trust with them and help them understand that I was on their side and, um, I was here and I knew them all like pretty well because we went to college together. So it's not like I was starting from nothing, but there's a few students who know who they are because we've talked about this many times who like weren't so fond of me in the beginning. And um, I had a lot of honest and difficult conversations with a handful of people. And it wasn't like it was the whole program, but there were definitely a few people who, um, you know, I just like wasn't their favorite person. And not just that, but I wasn't the I wasn't the Bonner director before me or the one before that. I was my own being, right? And honestly, it was really hard for me to feel that because I'm someone who like wants people to like me and I'm a relator and I, you know, I no one likes to feel like, you know, you're not liked. So that was difficult for me to wrestle with. And I think I had to sort of put my personal feelings aside a little bit. Um, but also not hide from that conversation. So I had to like engage with those students directly and hear them out. Like, what was I doing that they weren't so fond of? Were there things that I could improve on um, based on their own understanding of me? And at the same time, knowing that like, not everyone's going to like you and that's okay. Um, and I don't mean to be your best friend, but I do want to be able to work in, in, a, in an environment where we respect each other and we can have difficult conversations and we at least just like admire each other from afar, even if we're not like super close. That's okay with me. But um, I think I could have run away from those conversations and I really wanted to because they were uncomfortable. Um, 
And it felt weird. It felt weird to have that really like human moment with someone else. And I think like some of them ended in tears because we were both hurt and upset. And yeah, I learned a lot from that. And I think the biggest um, lesson I took away from that was like, when you're listening to people and when they have critical feedback about you or what you're doing as a leader, to really listen to them is also to respond in an appropriate way. So, and I don't mean that in the moment necessarily, like, yes, you have to acknowledge that you're hearing them, but if someone was giving me a piece of feedback about the program, it wasn't enough for me to just take it in and like write down some notes and walk away, but actually show them that I was doing something with that. So if it was like, I don't like our Bonner meetings because they're not productive. I'm like, okay, what is it about them that you don't like? How could they be more useful for you? Do you have ideas? Do you want to lead a Bonner meeting with me? Um, and like inviting them into the table instead of just saying like, nope, they're good the way they are. We're going to leave them and keep moving forward. And um, that's difficult because it's easy to get defensive, especially when someone's being critical about something that you're doing. But I had to like put that away because that's, I just don't think that's a helpful way to move anything forward. And I think a lot of good things came out of those conversations. And one of the students in particular who like knows about this and will laugh about it still, um, like on her graduation day, handed me a letter that was like, I really didn't like you at first, but I learned so much from this exchange. And I think we both walked away like with such a deep appreciation for each other. And we actually still stay in touch now. So it like, I think that was a really good story of like, you might not start off seeing everyone eye to eye or being on the same page, but like you can get there with a few conversations and going to get coffee together and talking it out and, and those types of moments. That's where I really learned the hard way. Um, and I think it's helped me a lot. And it doesn't mean I won't face those circumstances again, but especially in transition, I think to make people feel heard and understood and supported is critical. And also I couldn't, do everything that they were asking of me but in those circumstances it was also enough to just say like hey I'm also struggling here I'm coming into a brand new position and I'm like 21 or whatever 22 and I don't have all the answers and I just want you to know that like I'm not here pretending like everything's perfect all the time I also know that we have a lot of work to do um, but I don't necessarily have the capacity for that right now and for some students that was enough to just hear me acknowledge that like hey I'm not perfect and I can't do it all and that's okay so yeah that that's like been my most critical lesson I think that I've learned in those transition moments and I just that exact situation has applied itself in my transition to Brown too because again we're in a leadership transition and I, I came in and I think my first month was me sitting with as many students as I could, just getting to know them, hearing about their experiences in the program, asking them what could be better about our Bonner program, um, and admitting that, yeah, we can't do it all, but I'll at least listen to you and, and prioritize what we can do. So that's, you know, I came in and I knew that was like my first job was talking to people and, and really hearing them. While transitions can be tricky, Kelly talked a lot about the importance of communication and how it is a powerful resource to minimizing conflict and power struggles. 
So let's talk about communication a little bit more to get a better grasp on how it can enable a more effective and healthy leadership. Kelly Finn is on again to talk about the general importance of communication. And also to really listen. And that means like reflecting what people are saying back to them and saying, you know, I'm, this is what I'm hearing you say. Is this, am I getting it right? And, you know, cause again, someone might be telling you one thing, but the real problem is under the surface. And so if you keep reflecting back, you'll eventually like whittle it down to what the actual problem is. Listening is an essential part of communication and possibly the key to success and leadership. Another essential component is being able to communicate and articulate your vision for your team. This step not only includes your followers in the mission of your team, but also opens the team up to creating a culture of communication. I think it is important to note that if you want people to listen, to follow your leadership, there needs to be a healthy culture of change. Your followers need to be able to know that they can trust you as a leader, that you care about them as a person and not just a pawn. But they also need to know that they have a say in what happens with the team and the work they do. They need to know that they can disagree with you as the leader in a healthy and respectful way, and you will listen and discern what actions can be taken to resolve the conflict. In order for that environment to be created, you as the leader need to communicate that change is not only a good thing, but a needed thing. A team that is stagnant and not changing is a team that is stuck and not improving. Katie Zanucki from Siena College shares how she creates a culture of change and communicates the need for change here. Um, I think one of the things that we talk about in our program is that this is their program and it's student-led. And so, um, you know, if they don't like a training, they have weekly feedback forms that they do to reflect on it. Um, and so we find out, <laughs> we know that, you know, they didn't like that facilitator or that training. Um, and then they know that they're not going to see that training again or that facilitator in that same way or, you know. Um, so I think making students aware that they have the power to make change if they want it and make this program what they want it to be. Um, helping students understand anytime that we do have a change, why it's happening as well. Um, so really explaining um, the process behind things, the reason behind things, um, you know so that they can understand and, you know, whether it's students in the leadership team being able to um, advocate to their peers about it, um, or just as everyone um, learns about change, I think helping them to understand why it's happening, happening is a really important part. Um, and also them knowing that if they don't like it or they don't like something, um, there's multiple ways that they can share that with us, whether it's coming right to me, whether it's talking to a leadership team member, um, you know, they can advocate for change if they want it. There's a lot that we can't change. Um, you know, in my job, there's things that are happening all the time that I don't have control over. And um, at one point, that was frustrating or scary, um, which I think is a feeling that a lot of people have about change. But I think part of our job in our center and, you know, in this program is to help people to start to be okay with that. Um, we love the motto, be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And so change is a really big part of making people uncomfortable. Um, and change is good. We, we change things because we want to make things better. And so I think it's really important for people to understand that and to know that, um, 
and know that it's going to be a normal part of life, both in your professional life, but also in your personal life, you know, things change all the time. Um, so you have to start to figure out what's the way that you're going to cope with that and deal with that. And, um, you know, if you have questions about it, how do you question it? If you're, um, upset about it, how do you advocate for not to change? Um, so I think it's really important that we give people the opportunity to learn how to do that here. However, here's where the rubber hits the road. While we as leaders may need to understand the need for change, the question is, how do we communicate the need for change to our team members? Furthermore, what do we do when our team members resist the change? Katie Zanecki and Kelly Finn share their experience about this struggle. So let's listen in. I think it depends on the situation and what it is. Um, I think sometimes people talk to their peers about it and they, you know, get things out that way. Um, and sometimes that's enough. Sometimes you just have to like talk to someone else about it and get it off your chest and that's good. Um, but I think sometimes, especially in programs like Bonner, the, um, the, that can end up hurting the program or, um, the ability for things to change because it's going around to all these people, but the people who can actually make a change or, you know, act on that, don't know until the last minute when everyone's kind of fired up about it, which um, can be good, but it also can come off, depending on who it's going to, it can come off really bad. You know, I I like to think that our Bonner staff across the network are pretty, um, you know, open to our students and empower students to come and bring change. But if that goes to a different office on campus or a professor or, you know, the president or something like that, sometimes they get discouraged by, um, you know, hearing a lot of people really fired up about things. Um, So I think an important thing to do is help our students understand how do you do that in um, in an appropriate way. So how do you um, figure out what's your argument what are you going to bring? Who are you going to bring it to? Um, you know, and and help them to work through that. So I think um, having conversations about social action, having conversations about things in the community that upset them and how they can address that helps them um, to understand how to do that in their personal lives as well, whether it's some issue with a roommate <laughs> that they want to change or a bigger issue on campus that they want to change. A, like acknowledging when the right time is to have the conversation. I think like time and place are super important and some people mess it up right from the beginning because they approach someone right in the heat of the moment or in a crowd or, you know, like when a student is really stressed out because they have like three midterms in one week and then they also are hating the Bonner meetings and they want to argue with you about it, that's not the best time to like work through that conflict together. Like it can wait until next week. So that's very simple, but like knowing when the right time is. And I think part of that is just like emotional intelligence and being able to read people a little bit, but also to just ask the question, like, are you able to have this conversation right now or would another time be better? And if it's not the right time, don't do it because it's only going to make it worse. So that's very simple, but starting there. And then I think, um, you know, guiding the conversation towards a place where it's 
and this is like a marriage counseling thing, but the two of you against the problem and not each other. So this is not because I don't like you and you don't like me. It's because we're having an issue with this thing that's in between us here. And in order to do that, you actually have to identify what the problem is. And that takes peeling back the emotion. So sometimes the first place is to just hear people out. Like, how are you feeling right now? And acknowledging those feelings are super valid. Like, I totally understand why you're feeling this way right now. Or I don't quite understand why you're feeling this way, but I'm glad you shared that with me. And I, I wouldn't have known that if you didn't tell me. And like, just first holding space for feelings. Cause I think people just have to get those out sometimes when we're like bottling things up, that's never helpful. Um, and then I think identifying what the actual problem is, which is actually harder than it sounds sometimes because you know, a student might come to me and say, Bonner is just too much for me. You know, like I just can't handle the commitment right now. And when we start to unpack, it's because, you know, they're, grandmother's in the hospital and they, you know, have to work three jobs on top of Bonner or whatever the circumstance is. But the problem itself is not that Bonner is too much. It's that there's all this other stuff around it, right? So I just think of it as like peeling back all those layers, which takes time. It might not always happen in one conversation, um, which is why time and place are important because those conversations should never be rushed. Like people should feel like they have the, the right amount of time to tell you what they need. I also think sometimes it is a good idea to pull in a mediator. So if it's like actually a heated conflict, bringing in someone who's not directly involved is a really good idea. Um, and one of my colleagues at Sienna, Katie, we did this for each other all the time. We were like always supporting each other because these it's difficult. And sometimes you don't know what to say. You get into a conflict and you're like, I really don't know the right way out of this. I don't know what to say. I don't know if what I say is going to make it worse or better. And so having that other person in the room, I think just takes some of the pressure off because you don't always need to be talking. You can kind of sit with people's feelings and just let that be. Um, and then you can kind of play off of each other a little bit. So bringing in, and that that's not just like administrator, students can do that too. Like sometimes group conversations are a little bit easier. If there's three people in the room, um, it's, it's less of a heated conflict because two people are not going at each other. Now that we've heard about the importance of communication, we're gonna talk about a step that will significantly help with communication relationship building. Katie Zanecki is going to take us through her insight into relationships as a leader, as well as the unique challenges of peer leadership relationships. It's tough depending on the size of your team, but really getting to know people, taking the time to go get coffee or, um, you know, if you're in a meeting, take just a few minutes to check in and see how someone's doing, you know, what's going on with your life and, um, you know, whether that's just you got stuck in traffic today and oh my gosh, that's a silly story, you know, just trying to make connections with people. Um, it's great if you can make the time to meet them for coffee or a meal or something, but um, I think stopping during meetings to talk to them about just life and them as a person says a lot about, um, you know, you caring about them and helping to build trust in a relationship. So I think that's, I think that's really important is building relationship with people so that they, 
they trust you. And, you know, some of that means sharing some of yourself as well. You don't want to be like grilling someone um, to just find out about them. You want to share some of yourself as well. So really building a mutual relationship um, that can go as deep as you want it to be um, and as, as the other person wants it to be. But, um, you know, just taking the time to show that you care and you're invested and you're interested in them. But sometimes you already know the person, and that is the challenge of the leadership position. Let's hear out Katie Zanecki again, as well as listen to Nate Green talk about this challenge from a student perspective. That's one of the most difficult things for our students is figuring out, like, what is that line um, and when do you draw it? And I think it's different for everyone and for every situation. Um, you know, I think, and, and one of the things that I like to try to do to not have people be in a situation where they're too close to that line is make sure that like when we set up mentoring relationships or, you know, peer, um, you know, relationships where there might be a bit of a power dynamic, we're not placing really close friends <laughs> with really close friends. Um, so that when, you know, it's the weekend and there's things going on and things are said, they don't feel like, oh my gosh, I have to go and share this. Um, because I don't want them to have to be in that relation in that position on a regular basis. You know, I think that might come up every so often and we talk about that and we prepare for that and, um, you know, make sure that they know, um, how to navigate that. But I, I think trying to protect them in a way so that they aren't going to be in a situation where they have to, um, you know, they're being told things on a regular basis from a really close friend that um, would put them in an, in an uncomfortable position. Um, I think that at the same time, though, it's really about preparing students for that moment and having the conversation. You know, you might hear this. How would you deal with that? Um, you know, giving them some, some, um, situational examples, um, talking it through with them and having them make sure that they're upfront with their peers as well. You know, I, I'm in this leadership position. I need you to respect that. And I need you to know that this is what's going to happen if, you know, that happens. So I feel like it's, it's really tough. I think it's one of the most challenging things and I don't think I have, you know, a perfect answer for it, but I think, um, you know, preparing people to the best of your ability and the best of their ability to be aware that these things might come up, um, is, is really important. Um, and, and of course, letting them know that I'm here, that there's other people in the office and on campus that are here too, to help and support them, to navigate that. Um, and that my goal and my job is never to get people in trouble and it's to help people learn. And so if you're in that situation, um, where's, you know, someone's telling you something, you have to know that bringing it to me is just, I'm just going to try to help you and help the other person um, to learn from that experience. Here's some encouragement for the person who has a peer leader. I would say, um, have confidence in yourself and in your own ideas and your own abilities. Um, something I wish that I knew when I was a little bit younger was, um, you know, I have the abilities to do this and I have, um, 
the knowledge. And if I don't, it's okay to make a mistake. And um, I, I so strongly believe that you have to make mistakes to learn. Um, otherwise, you don't know <laughs> that you did things wrong. And so um, I think it's really important for people to now to take those risks and to believe in yourself. And, um, you know, if, if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. And it's probably not going to be the end of the world. So, um, you know, believe in yourself just as much as you might believe in your leader. For a student perspective on peer relationships, here's Nate Green. For me personally, any group that I always lead, I'm like, you know, business is business. Um, And it's as simple as that sometimes. And sometimes you got to get a little bit more complex and understand that, hey, when we're in this space, our friendship is always there. But you also have to remember that I am leading a group of people, not just you. Um, so whatever, and you're a part of that group of people. Um, our friendship is outside of this group of people. Um, and so it, it becomes a little challenging. However, the leader and the follower, whether it's, you know, friends or not friends, they have to understand that, you know, this is, you know, sure, he's my peer first, but he's also, you know, like my supervisor or my, my direct contact. Um, and so for me personally, a direct example of that is, you know, I'm on my senior bond intern board with a lot of friends, you know. Um, however, one thing that we always have, one of our uh, rules uh, is two-way street respect. No matter if it's, you know, a freshman or a senior, we have a two-way street respect, whether it's the lady that works at our front desk or the janitor that comes clean our office. We all respect each other. Um, and just emphasizing that respect thing, respect is the baseline to every relationship. Drawing that line between being a leader and a friend is, as Katie said, one of the hardest things a leader has to do. A really helpful way of processing through this situation, as well as keeping your power as a leader in a healthy balance, is through self-awareness and structure of accountability. The sad truth is, is that we are all humans, and we are all prone to failure and flaws. While failure can be used as a powerful tool for growth, if not processed through healthily, It can cause deep hurt and create ineffectiveness for you as a leader and for your team. Nate Green gives us a really easy to remember rule to use as leaders trying to figure out the best path for our team and for our own leadership styles. I believe number one, it starts with education yourself, educating yourself, uh, because it's really, really important that we have a baseline of who we are, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And so... If you don't know yourself, you don't believe in yourself, how can I believe in you? Understand that you have to think about yourself first um, and then others. There's one thing I always tell my nephew, (laughs) and it's if you're comfortable and it's easy to you and you're getting off task in class quickly, that ain't the right class for you. Um, And that is how it is in life. If it's easy to you and you're not getting uncomfortable, you're not in the right place in life. You need to be challenging yourself. Sure, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be, you know, handed to you on a silver spoon. But when you begin to work and challenge yourself, you begin to see some of the real results. People, you start to debunk some of the statistics that were built against you. I always encourage them. um, If you are sitting here today and you are comfortable with where you're at, maybe you ain't pushing yourself a little bit more and you need to sit down and actually self-reflect. That's the first thing in anything that you um, look to accomplish. Self-reflection. If you're not able to point out why this is a problem, then that's the problem. Um, sit down, self-reflect, uh, reevaluate, and re-implement um, is always my go-to. My three reads.
So what do we need to be aware of? When I say self-assess, what do I mean? When to put it bluntly, self-assessment as a leader is really giving yourself a reality check, asking yourselves the hard questions. Am I being a healthy leader right now? Am I a healthy person right now? Am I taking care of myself mentally and physically? How am I connecting with my teammates and coworkers? Am I fighting against stereotypes and microaggressions and other hurtful communication within my team and myself? How can I grow in awareness and cultural and emotional competence? How can I push my team to grow in those things? The reality is being aware of stereotypes, microaggressions, emotions, and your own personal health can be hard. But remember, your team is not expecting you to be perfect, just honest. Change is slow and hard. Learning how to be a leader will not happen overnight and will be full of mistakes and failure. But in all of it, there is grace and there is growth. So keep pushing on. Take your time to find out who you are as a leader. Be honest, be vulnerable, be brave, and reach out whenever you need help. And that wraps up our main content for this training. Next is What Would You Do? A really helpful segment of this training. This is a time where we give our guest speakers a conflict scenario and hear how they would respond based on their experiences, skills, and leadership styles. I think back to my own experience as a Bonner, and I think the reason I got to where I am now is because my supervisor trusted me a lot. Like she trusted me as if I was her own colleague who worked full time in her office, even though I was only there eight hours or 10 hours a week. Right. Um, so my approach with students is like always pushing them in terms of their growing edge and, and relaying to them that I trust them incredibly with what I'm asking them to do. So if they're not, I think if students are not like finding their place or maybe their site isn't really working out for them or they're having like a career shift or some sort of personal shift, my inclination would be to sort of brainstorm projects with them or things they can take on or even like clubs they can get involved in on campus or like identifying one sort of like passion project that they can take on, you know, so that way I can be there as sort of like someone to show them the way and guide them and not just like throw them out to deal with it on their own, but to give them a lot of my trust that their ideas are valid and they're better than mine and they you know this this is like a safe environment to try and fail and that's okay i've seen leaders come into themselves when they're really trusted and that's it requires work because i have to put away my own fears or worries about what might go wrong mm-hmm. um, and also be responsible if it does go wrong to take that on myself and not put it not look at the student and say you messed up but i messed up because i'm i'm supervising The only way I learned was by being put into situations where I had to do more than I thought I was capable of. And slowly, I've always been like a fairly confident person, but I think I came into this like new level of confidence in myself when I realized that people sort of believed in me in my mind. I think anyone is capable of taking on anything with the right support. And it just means that I have to adapt the way I support different students because everyone needs something different from me. And sometimes it's like organizational help they need. And so that's that's what I can provide. And I think the way that I teach is just by 
being with and doing with. So it's not like I'm sitting down and having like an eight hour training with someone to teach them how to plan an event, but to get on a whiteboard together and do it together and ask questions and say, okay, if our event's 10 weeks out from, from right now, what do you think the first thing we need to do is? And like, they have all the answers. Like we're all capable of doing this. Um, I, I try as much as I can to just sit with people and like they can watch what I'm doing and I can watch what th um, they're doing and give each other feedback and I try to make it as non-hierarchical a structure as I can um, which is hard sometimes but I, I want them to feel very much a part of the work yeah that's my approach with students and the only reason I do that is because I think that's the approach people took with me and it worked <laughs> so that's good now it's your turn. How would you respond to this situation? Pause the video for a couple minutes and reflect on your response. Remember to be aware of any biases or unhealthy thought patterns that may impede on your healthy decision-making skills. And that wraps up this episode in the series, Creating Agents of Change, of the Bonner Broadcast. To watch more episodes from this series, go to the Bonner Network YouTube channel or visit our website, bonner.org. Subscribe to our channel for more trainings and resources. This episode has been made possible thanks to Claire Blim, Liz Brandt, Sarah Byler, Maria Guevara Carpio, Dr. Ari Hoy, and the Bonner Pipeline Project Committee. Special thanks to our featured guests, Kelly Finn, Nate Green, and Katie Zanecki. Music in this episode was produced by Ben Sound. Thanks for taking time to learn with me today. Bonner love! <laughs>